If you've been involved in a child custody evaluation where there's a court-appointed evaluator, you're going to want to watch this podcast. We've got Jessica with us today. She's going to talk all about getting a custody evaluator and how much it costs pursuant to a recent appellate court decision. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, Don. You know, um, so I don't want to reveal too much, but you've just purchased a house. And I want to tell you a funny story that because we were talking about closing, you know, and apparently you're getting your keys before the escrow closes. I purchased a few houses in my old life. I've never seen that happen before, but I'll tell you a funny story. My very first house was out in Riverside. And, uh, you know, it was this really tiny little home that I fixed up as much as I can, you know, put a new lawn, we had it painted. It was just, it was, it was a nice home, but it was way too small for, for me, especially I was starting a family. But uh, I didn't have enough money to move to the next house. I could get a mover, you know. So I had to do all the, like, physical stuff myself. I got a rental car, and I took everything out of that house. And, I mean, I don't even know how I did it. But, and I felt really bad leaving the house kind of a mess for the next person that was going to own the house. And I just thought it was custom that I go in there and clean it up as much as I can, you know, before the guy moves in. So we were supposed to, I was supposed to vacate on, on that day. And he's going to come in and take it over. So I'm frantically like, sweeping and cleaning and stuff and vacuuming. And all of a sudden, I see this face around the corner looking at me. Like, <laughs> I go, what the hell was that, man? You know, it's like, whoa, you know. And then he pops in and he goes, oh, hi. You know, I purchased your house. I go, yeah, very nice meeting you again. You know, because I think I did meet him before. And I'm like, so if you just give me like an hour or two, I could wrap it up and have this ready for you. The guy said, no. He was so excited about getting his first house that he'd taken and no matter what. This was a dream for him, you know, and it was just reminding me how um, precious our homes are to us, right? You know, and I know that you've been through a lot of stress because they say that buying a home is the maybe one of the most stressful things that you could go through, right? I never want to do it again, Dawn. <laughs> I seriously, it was so stressful. And I had a really great agent that made the process easier. But it was still horrible. I will never want to do it again. Well, your experience is way harder than my generation because we didn't have such things as bidding wars and paying cash and dealing with people that, I mean. That, so competitive. Yeah, it's way more competitive than me. My, in my generation, it was whether or not we could afford the loan. That was the stress on it. And the, I, I don't know if this happened with you, but every time I bought a house, you know, that person that's helping you get a mortgage saying, can you pay off this much? Can, 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 we need a little more cash flow. And I'm like, Ugh. Where am I gonna get that money from? And then you cash in everything that you own, and yeah, it's very, very stressful, right? I originally it was gonna be like a starter home for me, and I would like upgrade in five years. I think I'm gonna need more time to process the trauma before I can move again because it was honestly so stressful. Well, I'm glad to see you're in one piece. So, yes. so now we know what our clients go through, right? When they're selling the homes and buying homes and stuff like that. Yes. Cool. It'll be more empathetic for sure. Okay. Well. <laughs> Let's talk about a case that uh, where a woman needed a little empathy. We're talking about which case? This is Peterson versus Thompson. Okay, and we're dealing today with uh, child custody evaluations. I was walking in here, I was thinking we're going into the land of the land of experts, right? We're going to be talking about when we hire experts in family law cases, and the most prominent one, actually maybe the second, because I think the most prominent experts we deal with are forensic accountants, right? But we do deal with child custody evaluators a lot. So why don't you start and uh, tell us what this case is all about? 
So essentially, and actually I'll, I'll kind of pivot towards something that happened to me this week. I actually had a client do a PPA to on Monday. And what is that? That's a public custody evaluation through the court. And I didn't realize the difference in fees because the public one was 975 for each party to pay, which is like $2,000 tops, right? The, in this case, they were paying like $17,000. And I actually think it was on the cheaper side, to be honest, because yeah. I know that some of them go up to like thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. I was just going to say, now in this decision, uh, there was some talk about, wow, that's really expensive. And that's really cheap compared to what I've seen. That's what I yeah. thought as well. I was like, actually, they kind of got a yeah. deal. I've seen them go for a lot more. But in any case, in this case, there was a child custody evaluation, a private one, and the costs were about seventeen thousand dollars. And essentially, mom filed an appeal because the trial court ordered her to reimburse dad in proportion to the fees that he had paid. And she thought that was done incorrectly, essentially. Okay. So my understanding is is that um, she did not have custody of the was it one, child or children? Daughter. 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 Okay. He had primary custody. Right. And she was paying him child support. Correct. And her income was way less than his. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And and then also with respect to the custody evaluation, she stated, and she had an attorney, at least at the very beginning as I read it, she said, I cannot afford this. Right. Judge. Basically because given the child support orders that she had to pay dad, plus some of the reunification costs of the therapy that were ordered by the evaluator, she didn't have enough money to actually pay for the evaluation in the way that the court proportioned it after. Okay. So she makes that objection. What happens next? The court essentially disregards her expenses and all those burdens, so to speak, and just bases it off the income and orders her to reimburse dad. Um, well, first she orders, she's ordered to pay 25% of the fees, but dad had kind of already fronted the fees. He had paid for them. So really the court ordered her to reimburse dad in proportion to the 25% that she yeah. was ordered to pay. Yeah. So my understanding is, is that... Uh, she says, I can't afford it. Her attorney says, D you're missing the point, Judge. She can't afford a child custody evaluation. No, you know, you want to do one, and Dad really wants one. Dad is making such representations as, I'll pay for most of it, right? And he, he makes a lot of uh, offers to the court, and the court eventually latches onto one, right? One of his suggestions is like, I'll pay for um, everything uh, in excess of $10,000, right? And then he says something like, uh, I'll pay the, the, the retainer, the $4,000. Right. So he's willing to pay a lot of it to get this evaluation going. And the court finally uh, agrees with it. But you're saying that the trial court forgot to do something. Right. The trial court completely forgot to take into consideration mom's expenses and other obligations. And I think, honestly, because of the child support is such a priority to the courts of making sure the child's supported, they made a mistake and the court the appellate court realized that because they didn't take into consideration those payments that actually benefited the child right this is a case of first impression as far as i know and i think that we know that because the court was looking at uh it was comparing codes evidence code versus the family code and it was interpreting more than saying you know this is exactly what the code says so it was one of these and, it, and I don't think it was citing to any cases that have decided the same issue before, right. as far as I know. Now, what happens in this case, if I understand this, Jessica, is, is that the time period from when the cust initial custody evaluation took place versus a 
refresher. There was kind of like a period of time, a lapse in time between the two. So this evaluator had been on the case at least twice, right? Right. And what we see in, in this case is what we, I've seen in the practice is where there's a stale evaluation. You know, that evaluation could be five years down you know, away from now. And they're saying, hey, let's call this back because things have changed and I still want uh, to hear from the evaluator, but that person needs to re-interview people. So when that process took place, the trial court made some comments about the fees. So the trial court was saying, well, $10,000 for a refresher? That, that seems like it's a lot of money. It shouldn't be that much, right? You know, and I, and I thought what was interesting here is, is that the trial court wasn't communicating directly with the child custody evaluator. Nobody picked up the phone and said, hey, dude, man, or ma'am, you know, what's this really going to look like? What's the basis for the fees? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so what happens again is, is that the court makes its order. Mom's going to pay a certain percent, percentage. Father's going to front the cost but then she's gonna owe him the money, right? Now, after that second refresher, a couple of years go by, and then father comes knocking on the door and says, hey, judge, order her to reimburse me, All right? So he's being a little mean. I mean, he, he won on the evaluation, right? He did win. Right, and here she's paying him child support. Child support and the supervised visitation therapeutic yeah. fees. So now, now he wants more. He wants more, he wants to be reimbursed, kind of like, Spreading salt in the wound. <laughs> okay. So so the Court of Appeal uh, goes through this painful analysis of the code, and what does it determine? It basically says the trial court erred because it didn't consider mom's expenses. It just looked at the income. And so kind of with like a regular attorney fee award, it's usually on like need and ability to pay. And in this case, the trial court forgot to look at the ability to pay when they made this order. And so they remanded it back to the trial court to consider those expenses that mom has that would otherwise prevent her or enable her to pay the fees. Yeah. So this is the first time I've ever heard of a court uh, having to do this, you know, say that we're going to determine ability to pay for child custody evaluations, that there's a standard now. You know, so I, I got some questions, uh, you know, about that. And one is, is how could they have avoided uh, the surprise cost of the evaluation? What would you do, you know, if you're going into this and you know, the judge says, well, how much is this going to cost? I think that's the problem, right? Because I was just thinking in my head, usually the order is the parents shall equally pay for the cost of the evaluation. But you don't really know what the end up costs are going to actually be. So in your head, you're like, I can pay 50% of $5,000. But when it's $25,000, that's a much bigger burden. And I almost think that's worse because you're already on the hook for half the fees without really knowing what the full amount's going to be. So I think the only way to kind of circumvent this surprise is by doing those flat fee retainers. But I don't really know any child custody evaluators that do flat no fee way, retainers. No way. No way. It'd be crazy to do so. I had this one case. It was several years ago. Uh, the evaluator who will go unnamed was considered to be one of the best in the county. And she certainly was very professional, I, I have to say. But she was so sought after. She was like, you know, the princess. You know, she made it known that, look, I'm going to be taking a summer vacation and I'm going to be in Hawaii. And when I'm in Hawaii for three months, I'm not going to be working on your case. You know, and then I'm going to take another break. Her evaluation took a long time, maybe seven months. And before she ever went into court, her final, her bill was like $45,000. <laughs> you know? Six so, months of work. Right, right. You know, and I guess she was worth it because everybody wanted her and stuff. And I have to say she did do a good job, but, man, it's a lot of money. And if you got somebody that's earning 
minimum wage is what this looks like or almost minimum wage. That's impossible, right? You know what, though? Honestly, sometimes you get what you pay for, right? So going back to my evaluation for Monday, it was the public one, and I have the utmost respect for court employees, but this particular evaluator just did not do what she was supposed to do. And I did a really good job of crossing her so that essentially her recommendations meant nothing. And I kind of told my client, I was like, I'm sorry you paid this money because it was essentially for nothing. And so sometimes it may make sense to pay for the private one because you actually are going to have them, in theory, do what they're supposed to do to come up with a correct conclusion. Yeah. But I understand it's a very difficult thing for someone who's making minimum wage or does not earn substantial means. I mean, $16,000 could easily be even someone that makes good money. That's 20% of their income for the whole year. Yeah. So it's not an easy pill to swallow in any regard. Especially if you lose the recommendations yeah. <laughs> against you, right? I know. I wonder if mom would have felt differently if she would have actually won the evaluation. Yeah. Well, I've got to tell you that um, there's different schools of thought about evaluations in general. But my experience with the PPAs, the the government evaluators, by and large, you know, not really a good experience because I feel that they don't have enough time to spend with the clients and interview people to really get the scoop, you know? I think the thing is, too, with really nuanced cases where there's like a move away or there's abuse allegations or there's so many different factors and parties involved, it's almost impossible for them to get the full scoop. I don't know if you knew this, but just because I did the PPA recently, they spend a total of 20 minutes with the child and each parent. And that's essentially yeah. what they, how they make the determination yeah. as to who's more closely bonded. Which I'm thinking in my head, I'm a mom. I've had days where she prefers her dad for 20 minutes because I was the mom that had to discipline her and say, you know, put your toys away. So what if I happen to get on that day and now the evaluator after a 20-minute interview with my child thinks that she's more closely bonded with dad. Right. So, right. yeah, I agree with you. There's just not enough time and I don't think necessarily they have all of the skill set and resources to do these nuanced decisions. Yeah. Sometimes you walk into a room and you can just tell somebody doesn't like you. I don't know if you ever had it. happens to me all the time, by the way. So, you know, you walk in this room and you go, oh, my God, man, this is going downhill really fast, you know, and I really don't have an opportunity to let this person know who I am, you know, and stuff. But what was the process when you were there? Was it tell, – tell me about when the people met and then when – you were in court. So typically they met on the Monday, it was a two day PPA. So they interviewed the parents on Monday with the child. And then we came back on Tuesday, the morning she was supposed to review her notes and come up with her recommendations and send them by noon. We didn't get them until one o'clock by the way. And then we had court at 1.30. And so from 1.30 until about four, we all spent cross-examining her. So it was myself, the other parent, and then minors counsel, because there's minors counsel in this case. And it was just woefully obvious that she did not do what she was supposed to do. She was reading from her notes while she was testifying. Was it remote or was you? It was remote. remote and yeah. I was the one that caught it. And I told the judge, um, I'm pretty sure she's reading from her notes. And so then she confirmed she was. And the judge ordered her to turn over her notes, of course. But Wow. Good yeah, job. I, the thing it's, that's funny is usually, you know, the court always likes PPAs because they want to have that expert opinion before they make these really nuanced mm -hmm. decisions. But I think actually in our case, our judge had a much better familiarity of what was going on because he's seen us a few times, unfortunately, <laughs> since this has been a litigious case. But, you know, they also use like 90% of times they adopt the recommendation of the PPAs. Which I want to talk to you about, but go ahead. And in this case, I'm almost certain he's not going to adopt them because okay, she didn't do what she was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, in the cases that I've had where it's either a, they didn't call them PPA 1s or PPA 2s, the name has changed several times since I've been practicing law. These would be called focused evaluations and stuff. You know, and 
after I learned that they're very limited in their rural ability, I found them useful for minor things like, you know, whether or not uh, dad should get an extra Wednesday or something like that, you know, for small things. But, but the part that I really hated was when they would come up uh, in, right before the hearing and they go, okay, this is what I'm recommending, guys. And you walk in the courtroom and go, okay, man, they gave me a lot of time to cross-examine her, right? <laughs> you know, in you know, they don't do any real um, psychological testing or, or anything like that. So I think the court is doing its best. I'm not trying to be uh, critical because we're dealing with uh, the second largest court system in the United States. Uh, we're dealing with you know, 8 million people in the, in the general area here. And so you've got this flood of cases coming through here. And the court's trying to help people. And I think it's pretty cool that at the government's expense, you could do something as inexpensive like that thousand dollars or what I don't even know what that's paying for you know when you think about it you know uh, versus forty five thousand dollars so that's that's cool that we're doing that but I do question this sometimes is it better to not have a custody evaluation and just put on the evidence let the lawyers do their thing so the funny thing is because I kind of knew the PPA2 wasn't going to be able to handle the nuances of this case because it is a move away request I had already requested a 217 hearing and so in light of Good. the recommendations and the fact the cross-examination kind of showed how woefully deficient it was, we now have three days of 217 hearing, which is you know live testimony from all of our collateral sources. And the court's allowing it, I think, because he knows this is a very important decision. And there's a lot of issues and a lot of factors at play. Um, and I think that actually would probably have been a better use of time if we just would have put this on. Because we also filed this movie request back in August of last year. And basically a whole year later, we're going to finally get a, a response on this. But just because of PPA also, because they're so sought after because they're a cheaper option, they're months out in advance before you can actually schedule one. Yeah. A very well-known attorney in Los Angeles who's no longer with us once said at a seminar that he thought that it was a cottage industry, that he didn't believe that they were appropriate or necessary uh, for custody evaluations. Um, and I've kind of, I'm in between on that. Uh, a lot of times I think that's right. You know, uh, what I find with custody evaluators, even the, the 730s, that we're talking about evidence code 730, where the court appoints an expert. And this decision calls into question whether we should call them 730s because right. it's saying that they're actually pursuant to the family code. But my experience is like, man, it's hit and miss with even those people. I mean, you do find that a lot of these people have biases. And some of them phone uh, uh, it in themselves. You know, I've seen a lot of the evaluators base their decision on the preparation of the initial paperwork. And I know that because when you compare your client's application or the other person's to the recommendations of the report, they're suspiciously very similar. And they latch on to things that the person said. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm going to be able to easily disprove that. So I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, these evaluators on the stand, and I've, like you did, I've taken them down, you know, and stuff. You know, you take a look at their notes, you know, and you uh, you question their premises and all that stuff. And so a lot of times it's a, it's a very expensive waste of time, you know. So I, mean, I don't know if we, if we should have custody evaluators, but I don't think they're going away anytime soon. There's some of them that, that are really good, but it's like, and what I understand is, is that they're fewer and fewer now. Uh, there used to be like a lot of them. I think the thing is because it's such a lengthy process and it does take so much time or effort, they find that it's better suited on smaller other tasks. A lot of the evaluators are also like parenting plan coordinators or they're also family marriage therapists and mm -hmm. that's a smaller responsibility and less work. And they're like, I'd rather just do that than do these child's custody evaluations that are gonna take six months out of my life. Yeah, and, and I've seen that um, 
they like to be experts uh, turn into the we call them 731 experts so they get to review the report of the 730 and then criticize that and they man they're so happy to do that <laughs> yeah well cool cool so uh going into these things let's go back to this case here now so we're talking about fees you know and and you got a client that uh, wants a 730 evaluation but you're questioning how much it's going to cost uh, do you call the evaluator's office first and say, you know, before you report to the judge and actually get the judge to sign it? Do you think that's a good idea? I think that would be a good idea to speak with the evaluator. I like to give, you know how I am with my clients. I'm very yeah. upfront and transparent. Yeah. So I always tell my clients best case and worst case scenario. So I'm like, best case, it'll cost you about 15 or 20 grand, but it can also go up to $50,000. That's very accurate. And so yeah. I like to give them the heads up so there's no surprises. And mm -hmm. it also allows them to make an informed decision and plan accordingly because it isn't a small amount of money. And some of them do have to either borrow from family or friends or refinance this house or what have you. Yeah. And so before we're on the hook for 50% of the fees, I want to make sure my clients can actually afford it. Not only that, but they got to take into consideration your fees. Right. Because dealing with a custody valuation where there's an evaluator, I'm sorry, a, a child custody dispute where there's a custody evaluator, you're going to be taking that person's deposition, most likely, issuing subpoenas to get their notes. You're going to be examining or interviewing the people that they're collateral, collateral sources. There's a lot of work in trying to challenge a custody evaluator, right? Or even if it's beneficial for you you've got to bolster that so you're talking about possibly forty thousand dollars for the custody evaluation and then another forty thousand dollars of your own fees right you know in uh, what folks should know is is that a lot of these evaluators uh, are not going to testify unless you come give them a check ahead of time right so they could do all this work but they say like i'm not going to show up unless you pay me you know three grand in advance they require the expert fee retainer, so to speak, yeah. to appear. Most of the retainers have that language in there. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. I think this was a, a very uh, good decision to look at, you know, for the people that are out there that have never experienced this before. And, of course, it's good for us to always review some of the practical things that we can do. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Don. Okay, we'll see you next time. And see you next time on Exhibit A.